Hi, we're so excited that you stopped by to check out this week's podcast. We hope that you will be blessed by the sermon. If you'd like more info about Providence, visit our website, providencecommunity.org. We hope to see you soon. It's not interesting. You know, when I came to Christ, when, you know, uh, and fell in love with the Word of God, you know, one of the uh, initial scriptures in, in, he, in the book of Hebrews, I was reading one day and just kind of struck. The Bible says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And those who come to God must believe that he is God and a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And that, that, that scripture uh, just kind of rang in my spirit. And, you know, fr- from that moment on, I wanted to grow. I wanted to grow spiritually. I was determined to grow spiritually. And I realized at an early age that growth always begins with me. Growth always begins with you. It doesn't begin with our spouse. It doesn't begin with our boss. Growth always begins with me. And so I realized at an early age, if I was going to grow, and I wanted to grow in faith, and I began to uh, seek God and the Word of God so that it would enable me to grow in faith. And as I grew, my motivation, I believe God put it placed in my heart that I wanted to help other people grow. And, as I, and so from that perspective, I realized I started to grow. I started to help other people grow. And so for maybe for the 10, 15 years in ministry early, I was just kind of growing and helping people grow in faith. And along that journey, I came into harmony with the renewing of the mind. And I realized then, as God deposited that in my spirit, they kind of are congruent. But unless your mind gets it, you don't get it. And if people have been around me for any length of time, they would say, you know, Coach talks a lot about the mind. And Coach does talk a lot about the mind. But you know who even talks more about the mind is the Bible. The Bible talks more about the mind than I do. In fact, you know, in, in, to the letter of the Philippians, Paul said, let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. Right? To the church at Rome, he said, uh, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. To the church at Ephesus, he said, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. To the Corinthians, he said, what? Uh, Cast down all imaginations that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. To the Galatians, he said, what? What he say to the Galatians, Pastor? He said something. You know what he said to the Galatians? To the Colossians, he said, set your mind on things above and keep them set there. Amen. Yes, yes. What did he say, Pastor? Let the Word of God dwell in you richly. Amen. So the point is, and I'm going to talk a little bit about the mind today, but before I get there, I'm going to take you on a little bit of a longer journey, but I'm going to land there today. And I want to ask you a question with the time we have. How much power? I know we, we, we come in, we want to be redeemed, we want to be rescued, we want to be set free, and so on. But the question is, how much power does Satan have? You know, how much power does Satan have? I know the Bible's replete with Scripture assuring us that Satan has been stripped of all his power. In fact, in, uh, to the um, church, the, the, to, to the Colossians, remember, I believe it was in chapter 2 and verse 15, You know, the Bible says that Jesus made a spectacle of Satan, right? He made a spectacle of him, rendered him helpless, defeated him, and rendered him helpless. 
You know, in, in the Johns, we had a series in the Johns, but in 1 John, you'll remember that uh, God says, for this reason, for this cause, the Son of Man was made manifest, that he might destroy the works of the devil. And Jesus said, all authority has been given unto me, and nothing by any means shall harm you. And I know you all know that we're assured that God is not a man that he should lie. He's not a man. He's not like you. He's not like me. He's not a man that he should lie. And he says, all authority has been given to me, and no devil is going to harm you. Amen? See, the Word of God indicates that the devil has no power. But our lives and our reality, our experiences seem to contradict that. It seems that he has all the power. Would you agree with me this morning that it appears that the devil is out of control and causing havoc in many areas of our life? The Bible says we've been given authority to trample on serpents. That talks about demonic power. He's given us power over all the power of the devil. Those two powers are two different words. One's authority and one's ability. It would be like an 18-wheeler's coming down the road or coming down the road here, and this officer stands up and he puts his hand up. What does the 18-wheeler do? He stops. Because I, the officer, has more authority than his ability. And that's what the Bible says. He's given us power over all. He's given us authority over his ability. And we can read over and over, and there seems to be a common theme that the devil has no power. Yet, we look at our reality, and it seems like he has all the power. Our families get attacked with strife, jealousy, illness, turmoil, hardship, divorce, emptiness, backbiting, unfaithfulness, financial stress, layoffs, etc. You see, I know the Bible says he has no power, but it seems like he has it all. And if the enemy is running rampant in your life or in your home, we need to ask the question, how did he get in and how did he get his power? How did he get in? And how did he get his power? I believe you'll turn to the book of Jude uh, today. It's, it, uh, Jude is the half-brother of Jesus. Jude is right before Revelation in your Bible. It's one chapter. I'm just editorializing a little bit so you get there. All right? People don't pick up Jude uh, that often. But in the book of Jude, in Jude's letter... In chapter 1, the only chapter, in verse 6, the Bible says, I don't know if we have that scripture, there it goes, and the angels which kept not their first domain, but left their own habitation. And God hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. The angels who do not keep their proper domain but left their own abode, he, God, has reserved in everlasting change under darkness for the judgment of that great day. Proper domain. If you just keep that scripture up there for a while, I'll come back to that in a second, but proper domain. It means God had a specific place for angels. God created angels to be in heaven. 
Angels were created to be heavenly hosts of God. Some are warring angels. Some are musical angels. Some are worshiping angels. But all were created to be heavenly hosts of God. But God's word said there were a number of angels who did not keep their proper domain or their abode. In other words, didn't stay where they were supposed to be. And the Bible teaches when Satan was cast out of heaven that one-third of the angels fell with him. One-third of the angels bought into Lucifer's plan to unseat God to become God. So when God cast Satan out, every, every one who had teamed up with the devil was cast out. And you see, Jude picks up on this language. There were angels who were supposed to be in the presence of God. But because of their rebellion, they were cast out, and they're no longer in their proper place. So you're saying, okay, coach, now we get it. We, we've heard that before. Uh, you know, Lucifer was cast out. He rebelled. He was cast out, and one-third of the angels fell with him. You see, Jude is picking up on this. He says, and the angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their own abode, he, God, has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of that great day. So they're not in heaven and if they're not in their proper place, then where are they? You see, the Bible teaches in the book of Revelation that, ain't there, that a great angel with a chain will drag all those rebellious angels into the lake of fire. So hell is reserved for the devil, but he's not there yet. Satan's permanent address or residence is in hell, but he's not there. So they're not in their proper place. They're not in their proper domain in heaven. So where is he and all his demon cohorts? And how much power do they have? Again, you read that. The Bible says that, and the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, left their place where, where, they were, where they were to be, he, God, has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of that great day. So where is he? And how much power does he have? I want to pick up on the word reserved here in the scripture. The Bible says that he hath reserved in everlasting chains. Reserve is the root word for reservation. Reserve is the root word for reservation. And the only good analogy or English analogy I can give you this morning is that in the United States where we live, the government has marked off certain territories in certain states and reserved those parcels for Native Americans. They're called Indian reservations. On those reservations, the Indians can live, operate their businesses, raise their families, conduct their own activities, and even have their own micro-economy. 
And all the rules on the reservation are different than they are outside of it. So some states where you have Indian reservations, they may have casinos and legalized gambling and other sorted activities. But outside the reservation, in the same state, gambling is illegal. Why? Because the rules are not the same outside of the reservation. So a lot of people within that state or a lot of people in neighboring states, a lot of people will drive to those reservations so that they can participate in gambling or other sorted activities. And so we come back here and we look at this, and if the, what, what God is saying in the letter here that Jude writes, if the angels are not in heaven and they're not in hell, then God had to make a space for them. So God says, here is where you're going to live. I've marked off a reserve, a demonic reserve, and I'll keep you there with everlasting chains. So when Lucifer and one-third of the angels were cast out of heaven, God marked off a reserve and said, this in this reserve, in this boundary, is where you're going to operate. Now, I know this sounds a little choppy, but stay focused and, and get this. God said to Lucifer, this is your domain. This is your boundary. You cannot operate outside this boundary. But if people, but if people come onto your turf, if they come onto your reserve, then they're subject to you and your activity. You get that? Yeah. Yeah. Amen. You can't operate. See, God says to the devil, you can't operate your reservation. You can't operate outside your reservation. But if people come onto your reserve, they're subject to you and your activity. So the devil is on this demonic reservation where he can traffic, do his economy, do his evil work in the boundary of the reserve. Now the question is, where is the reserve, right? Where is the reserve? Well, the reserve, if you read the scripture, the reserve is in a place called darkness, the reserve is in a place called darkness. Now we're coming to the part that I really like, see? Now we're getting into our mind and into our thinking. Now we're coming to this place where it has to do with our mind and our thinking. Turn to 2 Peter. You just have to go a little bit. Which way would we be going west, I guess? Yeah, that would be west. Just go a little bit there. The second Peter, no, first Peter, I'm sorry. First Peter chapter 2 in verse 9. Yeah, first Peter 2 9. First Peter 2 9 says, But you, people belong to God, he says, You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people 
that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. God has called you and I out of darkness, and he's called us into his marvelous light. God has called us out of darkness. Remember, God never calls you out unless he has a place for you to go into. Where are the demons and all their demonic activity? In darkness. What has God called you out of? Darkness. You know, we can participate a little bit. It's okay. You can talk in church, you know. You can talk, yell, scream, smile. You can even smile, which would be good. But uh, that would, you know, just, you know, the Bible says you got to share in the one, you know, we're on the right page. We're going in the right direction. Uh, Come on now. Yeah, just loosen up. Be free. Have some fun. Where are the demons and all their demonic activity? They're in darkness. What has God called us out of? Darkness. See, darkness is not the absence of light. See, darkness is not the absence of light. Throughout the Bible, darkness is translated ignorance. And throughout the Bible, light is translated knowledge or understanding. Remember the word God says, thy word is a light. Thy word is a lamp. See, thy word is a light unto my feet. God says, the entrance of God's word brings light. It brings understanding. It brings knowledge. It brings truth. The wisdom of God, the Bible says, causes a man's face to shine. Amen. The wisdom of God, the truth of God's word causes my face to shine. And Jesus says, I am the light of the world. I am the light. I am the revelation knowledge that every man searches for. I am the answer to every man's question. And if you come under my leadership, Jesus says, if you allow my agenda to be your agenda, he says, you'll never walk in darkness. You'll never be ignorant again. Amen? Amen. He is the light. He is the revelation knowledge that every one of us searches for. Hear me now. The Bible teaches The enemy has been given a boundary where he can operate traffic and do his activity. His boundary confines are in a reserved called darkness. The enemy lives and is actually chained to darkness. In other words, the enemy is chained to ignorance. In fact, the Bible calls Satan the prince of darkness. He's the prince of darkness. He's the first to rule through ignorance. And ignorance is not stupid. Stupid is the inability to learn. Ignorance, simply put, is we don't know. We don't know. See, God gave Satan permission to operate his world in what you don't know. And if you don't know what God says about a biblical covenant marriage, if you're a young man, middle-aged man, old man, and you don't know you're the covenant initiator, Satan has permission. See? In your ignorance, in your darkness, Satan has authority to operate. If you don't know what God says about how to do your finances, Satan has permission. He has authority to traffic inside your finances. 
You see, God says, my people, people who belong to me, my people perish for a lack of knowledge. See, it's not, it's not what you know that hurts you. It's what you don't know. And people are perishing. That doesn't mean they're dying. It means they're having ongoing destruction. That word perish is ongoing destruction. You take two steps forward, you take one back. You take three steps forward, you take two back. You take one forward, three back. You just can't seem to get to where you want to go. Because my people perish. They have ongoing destruction because they don't know. So whatever the area in my life, your life, marriage, raising children, doing your finances, running your business, building relationships, if I don't know what God says about it, if I don't know what God is saying about that area, then I'm subject to continual deterioration. If you examine today, if you examine the lives where, uh, where you're taking a beating, do you have light? Do you have light? Examine the areas in your home, or in your life, where you're taking a beating. Do you have light? Do you know what God says and what God requires? Or are you ignorant? Or are you lazy? Or are you rebellious? Or do, do you just refuse to do it like God says to do it? I could read something here. I don't have it on, in my notes, but, or I don't have it on there. But Ephesians 4, you can write this down in your notes, in Ephesians 4, 17 and 18. I'll get over there in a heartbeat. Amen. Galatians, Ephesians, right? Okay, here's what the Bible says. Writing to the church, writing to the church, Paul says, he says, this I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk. Gentiles here is unbelievers. Don't walk like unbelievers. Don't live like unbelievers. See, he says, therefore, I testify in the Lord that you no longer walk as the Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened. There's that word again, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them. Unbelievers are separated from God because of their ignorance. You see, putting on the new man begins with knowledge. God has a lot to say about putting on and taking off when you come to Christ, but putting on the new man begins with knowledge. Paul writing to the church in Ephesus in chapter 1 and verse 17 Paul was praying that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. When Paul was writing to the church, to the Colossians there, he said in, in chapter 1 and verse 10, pray that they might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. In, in Peter's second letter, 30 years after he had witnessed Jesus being transfigured, Peter writing to Jewish believers, he says that God had given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness. How? Through the knowledge of him. We could say today through the knowledge of God's word that God has given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness. 
You see, putting on the new man begins with knowledge. Write this down. Thinking determines outcome more than anything else. Thinking determines outcome more than anything else. And that's why I drill down on this topic. Because I know if your mind doesn't get it, uh, you don't get it. You see, at the end of the day, you and I cannot live beyond what we believe. At the end of the day, when it's all said and done, you and I cannot live beyond what we believe. And see, what we believe is determined by what we think. And what we think is determined by our source of information. What you read, who you listen to, what you hear, what you watch. It's as simple as that. If 80, 85% of what you listen to, what you hear is coming from the world, when the pressure's on, you're going to do it just like the world does it. We look more like the world than we do like what God says. Jesus said in James, or James said in, in his letter, in chapter 1 and verse 21, and I would encourage you today and pray today that you receive the engrafted word of God that's able to save your soul. Receive the engrafted word of God that's able to save your soul. Receive that which is being offered to you today. See, your soul is your mind, your will, your emotions. Your mind is where you think, that your will is the choices you make. In fact, your will is the most precious thing that God has given man. You can use your will just like God uses his. Or you can use your will to go against him. You can use your will to go against the one who gave you your will. Mm. So, your mind, so your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. Which, how you think, the choices you make, and how you feel. And James says, receive the word of God. You see, when God's word goes forth, it won't return to him void, but it will accomplish that which pleases him and prosper in the place whereto it is sent. There's two Hebrew words for a word. I can't pronounce either one of them, Pastor. But I can tell you what, what they mean. I can read. I can read the concordance, and I can tell you what those two words are. One word in the Hebrew is like my word. I say to Pastor Keith, Pastor, you want to get lunch tomorrow? Then they respond. And that word goes forth, falls out. After they respond, either we're going to or we're not, right? We don't think about it again. But the other Hebrew word for word is when God's word goes forth, God's worth continues to go forth. It's like an e eternal echo. God hasn't changed his mind. What God said 6,000 years ago, God is saying today. What God said yesterday, he's saying to you today. God's word, when God's, it's, an eter it's an eternal echo. And that's why God encourages us to say back to him, to whisper under our breath, to say to him what he's saying to us. Amen? Amen. Have that, have that eternal echo. God's word is an eternal echo. If God tells us to do something or to believe something and we can't be persuaded to act on it, we deceive ourselves. James says in 122, he says, be doers of the word. And not hearers only, deceiving yourself. Amen.
Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own self. You see, your mind has the final say on all matters. And if you come and you hear what God is saying and you leave and don't apply it to your life, you deceive yourself. You see, my job as a teacher, communicator, is to work for your soul. I'm after your soul. And the Bible says, Jesus said, he who wins souls is wise. We come and hear a lot of beautiful messages, wonderful word of God. But if you don't get it in your subconscious, if it doesn't get downloaded into your subconscious before you hit the parking lot, you'll forget 80% of what was said. So if you come and you hear what God is saying and you leave and don't apply it, see? So I've learned this over the years as my job, even when I was coaching or teaching, changing your thinking is not my responsibility. That's your responsibility. My responsibility is to share, whether it be football, leadership, Whatever the case might be, that's my responsibility. Your responsibility is to act on it. See, we can get people saved in a pretty short period of time. I can come to Mike and I can befriend him, build a relationship with him, and lead him to the Lord. He can get saved in a short period of time. But getting him converted, now that's a tough job. See, getting you converted is a tough job. See, getting you... Getting that subconscious, that heart converted is hard. Like in a computer, you have to clean that hard drive. And people know it, but they say, well, you got to get a whole new computer. We have to wash our, the Bible says, sanctify yourself with the washing of the word. Get the word of God to replace all that nonsense that you've been raised in. Born again, on your way to heaven, but oftentimes living like hell because of the spirit of our mind. Amen. See, the hour in which we live, we can't afford shallow ministry. We need to hear the word of God so powerfully preached that it brings conviction that causes us to make change where necessary. We need to continually be in pursuit of the knowledge of God. See, Satan is chained to a reserve called darkness. The enemy of our soul is chained to operate in the areas where you and I refuse to gain knowledge or we refuse to learn or where we refuse to apply. Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. If you refuse it, Satan has permission to traffic in the areas of your life where you remain ignorant. Let me close with, i just close with this one scripture in the book, in the letter of Matthew. I know we're running a little over, Pastor, so I'll just uh, close this here in Matthew 6. Matthew 6, 22, 23. Bless you. Somebody's sneezing in. All right. Look at that right there. Seven places where Jesus shed his blood. Amen. He didn't share just once, seven places. In Matthew, in the sixth, in the sixth chapter, 
The Bible says that if you be, Jesus says, he says, if your eye be single, if your eye be single, your whole body will be filled with light. If your eye be single, your whole life would be filled with light. If you make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, if you put him at the center of every circumstance and every situation, if you consider him in everything that you do, if his word is your highest priority, your whole life will be filled with light. But if your eye be evil, the Bible says, and that word evil is not like the evil we think, horrific evil. Evil just means contrary. If your eye be contrary, you have alternate things that you think. God is not at the center of your life. He's not at the center of your activity. His word is not your highest priority. He says that your whole body, your whole life will be filled with what? Darkness. Darkness. Ignorance. Then this is the caveat right here. This is a ticket right here. So he says there, if therefore, in verse 23, he says, if therefore the light, the knowledge, the truth that is in you be darkness, how great is that darkness? See, if you build your life on a lie, if you build your life on alternate living, alternative lifestyle. If you build your life on a lie, how dark is your darkness? How deep is your darkness? You better be sure that what you base your life on is the truth. If you base your life on what you think, see, most people arrive at their destination based on what they believe to be true what they believe to be true. And if what you believe to be true is a lie, how deep is your darkness? You know, today, depending on what, I think it was Barna, George Barna's, I just jotted a statistic here. He says 50% of uh, evangelicals, 50% of evangelicals, teens, in other words, they're Christians, they have teens in their home, 50% of the teens don't believe in the resurrection. Barnes says 60 to 65% of Christians, who people who call themselves Christians in America, believe in an alternate way to heaven. How deep is your darkness? If you vote, support men and women who want to champion the abortion issue, how deep is your darkness. If you want to vote support people who want to support homosexual marriage or the homosexual agenda, how deep is your darkness? Oh, we don't believe that, coach, but they, no. You do believe that because that's what you support. How deep is your ignorance? God's eyes are still going to and fro throughout the earth to strongly support men's and women's whose hearts are fixed on him. And Jesus said, unless a man is born again, he cannot see, he cannot comprehend, he can't perceive, he can't understand the kingdom of God. Amen? Can't understand it. So if you're here today and 
You want to understand. You want to perceive. You want to comprehend the things of God. You want to grow in the things of the Lord. You want to be delivered. You want to be free. You want to live that abundant life. You want to walk in all the blood-bought rights that Jesus provided for us. This is your moment. I always say stand where you are. I used to say walk. I couldn't get anybody to walk down here. You will walk if your life depended on it. But if you just stand, see, Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father, which is in heaven. But if you deny me before men, I'll deny you. Stand where you are. There might be two, three, five, ten. There might be a number of people here today who want to know that their sin is forgiven, that they have eternal life, and their name is written in the Lamb's book of life. The greatest thing I know for me, when I walked down that aisle, my heart was coming out of my chest, my hands were clammy. But when I got back, man, I always say it all the time, right, Pastor? The person back there says, Well, isn't God the same back there as He is here? He is, but you're not. See, you're not. If you get up and you walk, if you get up and walk, you'll be testifying to pastor over the next six months. Well, I know I ran over, but our prayer team's coming. Come now. And if you need prayer or you want to give your heart to Jesus, come pray with one of these people who've prepared themselves to pray with you today. I appreciate the opportunity. I thank God today I could pray a blessing upon you. I pray the Lord would bless you and keep you. Lord, make his face to shine upon you. The Lord would bless you with his marvelous grace. And the Lord would continue to give you his peace. And then God says, because you belong to him, he said he'd do it. He said he'd do it. So I appreciate being here with you today. I trust that we've said one or two things. And I thank God for his goodness. Now you can come and pray. You can be dismissed to go. You can fellowship. God bless you.